Hi folks, and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. A little bit of housekeeping before we kick off. First of all, I want to say a big thank you to everybody who has contributed to our Gaza fundraiser. It's been really uplifting and heartwarming to see so many people chipping in and to get to see the impact it's had on the people in tents in Rafa who are struggling under the most horrendous of situations. And just to see the, the little handwritten notes thanking our listeners for the support and what it means to people in Gaza. I can't thank you all enough. But as awkward as that is, I do need to ask you to help keep this show on the road. The only way we keep going is if you click the link that says patreon.com forward slash tortoise It is at the top of the podcast you're listening to right now. We've no ads. We've no sponsors. We need you to chip in, pay it forward and keep the show on the road. The five quid you're giving us helps us carve out the space we need to continue to have conversations that you don't hear enough of in much of the mainstream and to do the activism that really matters. So come on board, join our little community, and help keep the show on the road. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber podcast. My name is Tony Groves. And folks, we have been covering events, obviously, internationally, predominantly on Gaza, but we always try to keep an eye domestically. And we've probably been late getting to this pod. So apologies to people who have asked me, when are we covering the upcoming referendums on family and care, which is March the 8th. And it is something that everybody needs to get out and vote. No matter how you're voting, please get out and vote. Just got my polling card this morning. Um, so we'll be, we'll be making, uh, we'll be making my decision later on. And maybe one of the conversations that will help shape what I'm thinking myself will be this conversation we're about to have now. Martin, you've been looking forward to this chat yourself. I do. Um, look, I haven't really looked at the referendum. I, I like. I trust Tom Clonan, and I do trust Tom Clonan's opinion. Um, I, I wanted to hear Owen's opinion as well, so that I can get some diversity. In it. But I'm not one of these people that's saying, "Let's just pull on the green jersey and vote yes." I need. I need a proper reason to vote yes. Look at. Look. Um, I, I don't. I, I think it's a very, very weak referendum, and I, I actually think it's a complete waste of time. That's my gut feeling. Yeah. So I'm interested. Does Owen think it's a complete waste of time? And and the Owen in question is uh, one of our returning guests, uh, lecturer in constitutional law, uh, Owen Daly. Owen, it's good to see you. How are you keeping out west? Everything okay out out in the uh, in where it rains only three hundred and sixty three days a year. Yeah, it's been a long winter, guys. Yeah, I won't lie, you know. <laughs> and there's always there's always time for a couple more Atlantic storms. To be honest, thanks thanks for having me on. Uh, not at all. And before we just, how's the running going? Are you still the fastest man in 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 in, in Ireland in your age group? Yeah. Uh I'm struggling away, struggling to run the two hundreds and twenty sevens, not twenty eights. You know, but uh, uh, it's one of these things where it's actually it's pretty liberating to embrace the fact that you're just not. You're just not gifted at it, but you're going to have a go and enjoy it anyway, you know. So uh, str- struggling. Uh, kind of a, I, I yeah. think that's a bit of, I think it's a gift not to be great at something. So you can enjoy it without having to compete at it. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally, yeah. Mark? And then athletic, I, I must say, like, in, in case anyone is interested, athletics in Ireland is an absolutely great community. Like, it's really, it's really wholesome and it's very inclusive. And it's one of the few sports where, like, everyone gets equal billing, like men, women, uh, overage masters and juveniles. It's, it's also. You know what I mean? And we'll just mention sanctu- just mention sanctuary runners in that as well, who do great work bringing community communities together. Always have to mention them. They do great work. Absolutely, great work. yeah, totally. Own 
Look, um, just the we're going to focus predominantly on the second part of the the referendum now on the carers aspect. But I do want to mention, obviously, the the family amendment and this, and the focus that is, you know, on changing the proposal is the is is there, um, you know, changing. <clears throat> The state recognised the family, whether funded on marriage or on other durable relationships, and there's been a lot of hang-ups yeah. on this durable relationships thing. And um, can I? I know we won't go too deep into it, do you, but do you have a sense of 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 as someone who's who has made, you know you study constitutional law, you teach about constitutional law, yeah. is this a significant um, and and worthy of all the debates that it seems to have had? Because, and I will say this. I found it quite disappointing that I, I tuned into another podcast about these two referendums and it was it was a 48 minute podcast and 45 minutes were based on this part and only three on the carers part and I wanted it to be the yeah. other way around. Well, it's complicated, Tony, but let's put it like this. So as things stand, um, families have constitutional rights uh, only if there's a marriage in the picture. Okay, and um, uh, then what you might call non-marital families for families based other than a marriage uh, don't have constitutional rights as such. But the thing is, it, it, it's possible to read too much into that. And uh, when we say constitutional rights, I mean, that's not where most of, say, our actual concrete rights come from. It will be from legislation. And so there is really very little under the current constitution that actually stops the Iraqis from giving uh, equal rights in most cases to um, what you might call de facto families, you know, families where there isn't a um, uh, uh, any marriage, so I think like it, 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 this is worth doing. It's it, like it's worth um, extending our definition of what a family is, okay? But uh, it's not really necessarily going to make a huge amount of difference or any difference um, in, in practice. Uh, partly because like there are like there are already rights, family rights to that apply when there's no marriage, you know, and the, they're based on legislation. Um, you know, for example, we have the Civil Partnership Act, we cohab cohabitation rights and so on. And um, it, say, for example, it, it, it's simply not the case that a mother or father don't don't have any rights just because they're not a constitutional family, as it's called. Having said that, I'll vote yes to this one because I think, you know, you might as well, because it just it, it is a more it is a more um, inclusive definition of the family. And the other thing to, to state is that like... Um, the, we already have the European Convention on Human Rights and Article 8 of the European Convention on Human Rights gives us uh, rights relating to family life. And under the, the ECHR, family means de facto family. It means family based on actual existing relationships, not based on the marriage contract. And so what it really does is to bring the constitution in line with the ECHR concept of the family. No, it's, so it's nothing that radical, you know. Like So there's been an... Um, Look, uh, it, there's been an unbelievable amount of BS about this one in particular because of this idea that durable relationships is too is too vague. There's been a lot of scare, a lot of scaremongering, a lot of racism, even about like what it'll entail. But the thing is that you're look a constitution isn't going to be drafted like a tax statute where you've everything exhaustively defined. It'll be up to the to the Iraqis mainly to put some definition on that and to stay say what a durable relationship is or who who counts within the 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 meaning of the family but i mean the idea that it's ever going to legislate for throuples or polygamy or whatever even if i were supposed to be scared of that uh, for whatever reason it's just it's it's groundless fear mongering in my view so i i, I would vote I, I i i i would vote yes to this one with the caveat that i don't expect it actually to improve improve anything specifically 
you know. And I think the main reason for that partly is, is there was a recent Supreme Court decision. Sorry, uh, sorry, Martin. No, go oh, ahead. Maybe, go go I, ahead, Tom. I, I just finished that point. The 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 Omara decision uh, basically said that um, the exclusion of an unmarried widower from the contributory widower's pension was unconstitutional anyway, even under the existing the existing framework. So that's right. Um, you know, the, the the fact of the family being defined in relation to marriage is bad, but it potentially doesn't mean an awful lot. Often what we're doing is we're sort of deflecting onto the Constitution things which are really down to political choice, you know. Yeah. Is it semantic, so? Um, not quite. Um, it is certainly, it's part, this I think is partly symbolic as well. It's not completely symbolic uh, but what it's doing is just widening the definition of what a family is. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily entail anything beneficial for uh, families or family rights. It's it's still anything of material relevance is still going to come down to what the Oireachtas and the government will do in future. You know, on the uh, through all and these perhaps debates, the judiciary and perhaps per- yeah. actually to to a lesser extent than people think. So what people are seen to be thinking is that the judges will be making up what durable relationships means, but it's more likely yeah, yeah, that the yeah, primary yeah. primary responsibility would really be in legislation, you know. Um, now, so, um, like, but I would say that in both these debates, what people are often uh, guilty of is what you might call the constitutional over-determination. They're sort of exaggerating to what extent anything is really influenced by the constitution either way, you know. Um, they Like, any of these alternative texts, they still leave actual social policy, very open for government and Iraqis to decide. And that's where the action lies, you know, so it's very easy to, and in fact, which kind of brings us to, sorry, lads, go ahead. Go ahead, Martin. I I was going to ask how difficult would it be to extend, uh, rights without this constitution? I mean, is it something that could be done very easily through the door? Um, well, you, you'd have to look at areas where there is, say, in some sense, a preferential treatment for families where there's marriage and they are fewer and fewer if there's any left. And uh, see, what the Constitution has been interpreted as as, as requiring, basically, is that uh, marriage isn't penalised. Okay, so there was a case back in the 80s, Murphy, the Murphy case, basically, where the Supreme Court said a tax situation where uh, say a married couple would end up paying more tax uh, than an unmarried couple in the same circumstances. That was unconstitutional because you were penalising marriage, therefore not, not protecting marriage from attack. Um, but that never meant that you you, you had to actually um, advantage married couples. It didn't mean that you have to um, give uh, give preferential treatment based on marriage. And do you remember, say, all the all the who had the two thousands with chart with tax individualisation? Was that under Charlie McCreevy, yes. I think? And so, you know, the, the, like it it's, was, it's, always, yeah. it's always been possible to uh, to give um, the same rights to, uh, to non-marital families. And so, again, you know, you can, you can exaggerate the importance the Constitution has. And I suppose one of, the thing I, one of the things I resent about these debates is the sheer amount of attention they're soaking up, you know, the, the, the constitutional debate. And it really sort of like distracts from where the the real action lies. It's the actual social policies on the ground that the government and the Iraqis are free to, free to change, notwithstanding anything in the constitution. Now, sometimes the constitution does prevent certain things being done, but like, it's important not to exaggerate that. There's, there's usually, oh, no, there's no, usually no. in fairness, of I need to push there, in on it. They, 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 they use the, they use the constitution often enough to protect private property rights, you know? 
like they've used the constitution. Like it doesn't mean they're actually right. You know, it's sometimes just a, a just. No, a, I know that. An excuse, you know what I mean? No, just to, like we would agree with you. Having said that, it would be no harm to have the constitutional amendments to make more explicit uh, how property rights can be uh, can be limited. You know. Um, so, but like, yeah, I mean, like they're like, the, the, we, we, what, what I'm saying is we tend to exaggerate the degree to which the constitution dictates things either way. And a lot of this is really coming down That's to, a, make, you know, make, make, making a statement about something or t- taking care of appearances. As, as a constitutional expert, if you were to do this, if you were to extend rights, is this the vehicle you would use to do it? Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily use a constitution at all. Uh, a constitution isn't really a good tool for improving people's rights. Okay. I mean, there are like situations where you can, um, say, you know, you remove some specific constitutional impediment, like the eighth amendment, which, you know, oppresses people in some very specific way. Then you repeal that it's gone and then you can change the law for the better. Um, but when it comes to say, social rights and social policy and social provision, you, you can't just use the constitution to enact a better situation into existence. That's not how things work. You know, you can't solve the housing crisis with a, an amendment. You can't leg- You can't enact a better situation into existence. Uh, and we shouldn't learn lessons from the Children's Rights Amendment. I saw Gareth Noble on Twitter, the, um, the you know, the Children's Rights Solicitor pointing out that he was unenthusiastic about this care amendment, partly because of the experience of the Children's Rights Amendment. So there's a big hoo-ha about the Children's Rights Amendment and enshrining the rights of children, you know, the natural and indescriptable rights of the child and so on, and making a big, a big, a big, a big show of it and uh, us all going to the polls and being promised something better. And then as he, he's a practitioner in the area and he, as he pointed out, it's had practically no effect in practice, you know. So, uh, I mean, if you wanted things to be better for children, if you wanted the social rights of children to improve, you'd fund services and so on. It's got nothing to do with Nothing to do with constitutional law. It's just a. It's just a sort of. For some, we, 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 I mean, we so, come to so, this. so that brings us on to the. That, oh, that brings us on to the very much to the caring part of this because, like, and, and I want to be very cognizant of this. And, and I'm speaking. We're speaking here, Martin. You're a person with a disability. You're 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 a person who's lived with with disability for a number of years. Um, someone very dear to me relies on 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 care. We we know from this. Um. The conversation that we saw it was interesting interjections by Flack, the Free Legal Aid um, Centre yesterday, talking about how unhappy they were with it. Uh, and, you know, but the government, to my eyes, have done something sneaky by linking this carer's amendment to um, to the women's place in the home. And we've seen, unfortunately, also, and this is a criticism of government directly, how they've misrepresented you know the, the the phrase on um in particular the state recognizes that by her life within the home woman gives to the state a support without which the common good cannot be achieved that sentence was misinterpreted by Catherine Martin indeed and was corrected by the electoral um commission uh, you know we've seen these issues where it's been where where uh, it's been the flack referred to it as misogynist and then from the carer's point of view i'm very conscious of you know, when we when we push for rights for people, going back to what you said a few minutes ago about about social provision, about providing services, about you know improving well being, uh, accessible housing, accessible services for people who who have additional needs, 
that is very much not going to be resolved by this um, because we we've, we're just simply changing the word um, uh, endeavor to strive. Am, am I am I oversimplifying it? Well, uh, n- no, I wouldn't say you're 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 oversimplifying it. But um, the um, um, look look, I mean, I don't think the linguistic nuances between words endeavor and strive really make much of a difference to anything. So what you had in the existing uh, woman in the home provision is a constitutional provision which a lot of people, for good reason, have found quite offensive, but never really affected anything. It never created rights, uh, nor did it actually prevent governments or Iraqis from doing anything, whether positive or negative. It's purely of symbolic value. And then but what you have then is a replacement uh, a replacement amendment, which um, is on the surface of, say, gender neutral, but is actually still, I think, sexist. You know, what it does, it, it really still embraces the same ideology that the women in the home provision represents. Um, because if you look at the text of it, let's just read the text here quickly. The state recognizes that the provision of care by members of a family to one another by reasons of the bond that exists among them gives to society a support without which the common good cannot be achieved and shall strive to support such provision. Now, I, I, what I think, if, if you could summarize that or paraphrase that, what it's saying is that care is primarily a domestic obligation, okay? A meaning an unpaid domestic obligation. So, it's saying that care is primarily a responsibility of families. And given what we know about, look, the statistical likelihood of who provide cares, it might as well be saying that care is primarily a responsibility of women. Do you know, the fact that you take out the explicitly sexist language, it doesn't mean it's actually lacking in, in sexism or that it's not gendered, even you might say. So if you're saying, look, this is the correct order of society, that care is provided domestically, unpaid, and that the state's role is only subsidiary or secondary, that it supports that in the background on a discretionary basis, really, then uh, what you're doing is you're affirming the, really, the long-standing status quo, which is that the way society works is that it really rests on the unpaid labour of women doing that domestic labour, without which society really couldn't function and this is the way we that's the way it is that's the way we want it and that's the way it's going to be and so very cynically i think it's just taken out the explicit sexism because people think that's embarrassing or anachronistic or whatever but keeping the same ideology and making it you know not as as obviously offensive as before but there is a very special effort here there's a very obvious effort uh to basically oppose any state of affairs where there could be any justiciable obligation on the state to actually provide care. Now, by justiciable here, I mean just simply something that you can actually sue the state for. Okay, uh, the, you know, so words like strive and just like the word endeavor, they're specifically chosen to avoid justiciable legal obligation. They're specifically chosen. Uh, to ensure that this remains at the symbolic level only, this, you know, um, and you know is, because if this, this, yeah. sorry, Martin, this is this is where uh, this is where I hear Tom Clonan, and this is where I hear Tom Clonan, and I, I agree with Tom. It's it's 
They might as well just put in the Constitution, if you have a child with disabilities, that's your burden to bear, that's your cross to carry, and we're not going to help you, because that's basically what it says. That's not all the way true, Martin. Because what it also does is it expand, it extends the, I'm going to use if almost the economic term, it extends the franchise to, it cannot, it doesn't have to be necessarily a parent. It could be a grandparent. It could be an aunt or uh, a, uh, No, uh, no, no, it's I, important. Just, it's important. No, air, but, I, but, but, I, oh, okay, but it doesn't make it any different. No, I'm not saying that, that it's I'm just saying, mother but, or father or it do, uncle. But, of course. But, it, but it does matter because it recognizes the sort of like the ideas of, say, say kinship carers. That, that aren't currently recognized. So it does extend that. And that is something. And again, I think it's wrong that we've been used to play one off the other. I think it's, I find, I agree with what Owen has said. I still find it predominantly uh, paternalistic and, and, and misogynistic in what, in how it's been delivered. I'm just saying that it's, they've, they're using, the wording has been picked. I, 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 as usual, let's go back to Tom Clonan's argument around, uh, per- persons with disabilities. Ireland being the last country to, to implement the UN's persons with rights for pe- persons with disabilities and then not availing of the optional protocol. Back to own, which means to own's point, you can give everybody all of this in writing that you want, but if you can't actually get the services and you can't access the services, what's the bloody point, own? So I suppose it is kind of, that's why this one is, is, is so divisive. And, and, we, and we advocate on this podcast that you leave no one behind. And it feels like this. We're saying to people, we're, we're going to make a little bit of, in, in, of an incremental step forward, but we're still going to leave people behind who are currently already left behind. I, I just, it just makes me uncomfortable on. Yeah, yeah, but you know, um, I, I would say, Tony, like, I dislike the existing texts, unsurprisingly, and I dislike the amendments. Okay, so what you're talking about is uh, a choice of lesser evils. Uh, but I, I just don't mm. think it makes a huge difference either way because I don't see the amendment as actually affecting uh, social policy either way. So I think, like, to be honest, it's over-determined, it's exaggerated on both sides. So the yes side, um, uh, well, the government really have said, and Roderick O'Gorman said in an Irish Times um, a piece last week, he said, uh that the amendment will create, a quote now, this is a direct quote, that will create a new legal obligation. And I think that is manifestly untrue, you know, because if yeah. the uh, if that had been the intent of the amendments, they could very easily have chosen much clearer, very specific wording, which would create what was a justiciable legal obligation. But this isn't an obligation. OK, it is. Well, if, if strictly speaking, it's an obligation to strive to do something, but it's not it's not going to be something you'll be able to have enforced in the courts. OK, so like but I so it's not going to, this amendment, if enacted, isn't going to force. Uh, any government or Arachthus to do anything specific. That's, I think, pretty clear. Now, you might find people who will quibble with that and say, well, you could have a Supreme Court who will push the boat out and and um, and, and create a kind of a justiciable legal obligation. But I don't I think that's very likely at all. So it won't force anything positive to happen. But I think on the no side, to be honest, even though I'm more sympathetic with some of these arguments and some of the perspectives of the people like Tom Clonan and, and others, I, on the other hand, I don't think it is going to actually lead to anything negative either. It's not going to. It's not going to uh, prevent the Arachthus from doing anything positive, and it's not going to force it to do anything negative. It's not going to actually bring about the ideology it's embracing. So, I mean, this is this like the way poli- the way politics works. The way policies are decided, they aren't decided by looking up the constitution and seeing what it says. Like that's just not real life. It's not. That's not how politics works. You know, there's these, if you look at Article 45 of the Constitution, they have these directive principles of social policy. They're supposed to be guidance 
um, uh, on, on, on how the Oireachtas legislates and what principles of social justice and so on it takes into account. And do you think they're ever looked at? They are not in, in these two. You know, let, let's be very clear about it. Uh, so, like, it's it, it, it just going to sit there, really. And it's going to have been a kind of a, a PR exercise by... Uh, by government, basically, to make us to give the appearance of action to do with care and gender, but it's not going to, it's it's not going to do anything. It's not going to cause any specific difference, whether positive or negative. Um, so you know this idea that um, you hear circulated that it's going to be bad for carers or bad for people with disabilities, uh, bad for them, yes, in this simply in the sense of the statement it makes. It's not a very uh, for, to my mind, it is very paternalistic. It is very reactionary in that it's saying, "Look, you are dependent on the on private networks of support, and um, the state really is only there for you in a very discretionary sort of background, um, secondary way, and it's really normalizing that social status quo." Um, that's the ideology it represents. But having said that, it's not going to it's not going to dictate policy either way. It's not going to be the framework within which social policy is made. You know, so like nor, I think, nor I mean, is it lighten, nor sorry, is it ahead, lighten any fires. It's not lighten any fires with the electorate either. On in all honesty, it's not a topic of discussion between people. Yeah. Um, except, you know, th- those who are campaigning for, actively campaigning for, and actively campaigning against, which is a very small group of people, to be honest with you. So the vast majority just have no buy-in to this whatsoever. Yeah, and you know what, like, I mean, what I, don't, what I don't like is people getting up on their high horse and giving out about lack of engagement and hand, they're wringing their hands and they're saying, well, why are the public so disengaged and why are they, why is there so much apathy? You know what? You can't blame people for not necessarily being interested in something that actually doesn't relate to them. You know, it doesn't really interest them and maybe they're right. You know, it doesn't really, it doesn't have a material effect on their day-to-day reality. And so sometimes, you know, this is one of my unpopular political views. Uh, sometimes apathy and disengagement are entirely intelligible uh, positions. You know, not not all the referendums put to us actually matter an awful lot. They don't necessarily mean an awful lot. Uh, the Children's Rights Amendment at the end, for all of the worthiness behind it, at the end of the day, it made F all difference, you know. And uh, so, you know, you need to, to agree make, with you. I have a healthy degree of scepticism about the, the things that we're asked to vote upon. The fact that we're asked to vote on something doesn't necessarily mean it's all that important. And you see, you know, sometimes we are asked the wrong questions. And apathy is sometimes actually an understandable response, you know. So if somebody if somebody was were to say that they didn't think uh that they did they 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 not like neither the existing text nor the care amendment, uh, you know, is um abstention, is it something that you would condemn or you know, I I don't think it is. You know, it's 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 an entirely uh, intelligible choice, to be honest. It's not so. I mean, it's not. It's not um, uninterestedness in politics. It's 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 recognizing uh, what is important and what isn't, and and not being taken for a fool. Um, so, I mean, there was a body about a decade ago now called the Constitutional Convention. I don't know if you remember it, and it was a kind of a forerunner yeah. of the Citizens Assembly. I think it was the body that um, recommended uh, marriage equality. If I'm not wrong about that, but it was slightly different in that one third of the composition was actually um, members of the Oireachtas. And um, you see, mostly now these citizens' assemblies and equivalent, their agenda is set by government. They mostly can't just talk about what they want to talk about. They can't go and say, well, if we were to change the constitution, this is this is the article we would change. But actually, this, the 
convention did have that option. They were given a, a sort of a set list of issues to discuss by the government, but then they had a kind of an open remit at the end, I think, to sort of discuss with what they would like to discuss. And um, uh, when they were asked, and then what they wanted to focus on was um, housing and uh, health, if I'm not mistaken, that they wanted to enshrine new rights, new rights to housing and health. And so, I mean, if people aren't engaged with the referendums that are put to us, that might not be the fault of the people or of, say, the campaign or whatever. It might be the it might be simply the fault of the Iraqis and government for putting amendments that don't really relate to well, people's lives or I, don't make a difference. I, you know I, what I mean? And I need I need to push it on. I need to push in because it was funny. We had that conversation when um, probably a year and a half ago with yourself er, er, in relation to the the desire to have the the counter right to the right to housing. You know, to, to counter the right to pro- private property. And you also made the point then that it just because it was inserted in the in the legislation didn't mean that it, everybody was going to be given a house. It was just you know that the government must be sh- shown to be making progress in its housing plan in effect. You know, so it's, it's it's it all comes back again to provision to to so to to legislation and, and to policy. And and yeah. I, I think you were you were skeptical of that as well. So I think that's I think that's a fair point. But the one thing I will and, and to my final question to you is. The government were given a, a lot of recommendations when it came to to some of these things, and the wording they chose to accept is, is they chose to sorry put in front of the vote the electorate is certainly not the wording that was recommended to them, and that and that is where I come back to with this where they were there there does seem to be I'm gonna I'm gonna call it penny pinching because the the wording that they were they were told to to, to look at would have given people uh, put a place more of a value. An actual value in in euros and cents on some of the work that's done by by carers and in the caring community. Yeah, I think the main difference with the wording proposed by the assembly, the citizens' assembly, and the wording now settled on by the government and the Ractus, uh, is that the former would have actually created a legal obligation uh, to support care, a legal obligation for the government. Now it would have been probably highly qualified, and sort of it would have just maybe required the government to take steps. And it wouldn't say have automatically generated all sorts of specific benefits, but it would still have had some sort of legal effect. It would have been meaningful beyond the symbolic level. And there was a very deliberate decision taken uh, to not go with that wording and to put in a much more aspirational wording instead. Uh, That's why I'm kind of annoyed at Rodrigo Gorman saying that this is creating a new legal obligation. I just think that simply is untrue. And I think he would know that based on the discussions I, he would have I, been privy to around him. He and he knows that because of his own. He's a he's he's a bloody legal lecturer himself. He knows full well what he's saying. Yeah. So, like, you have two you have two very different narratives going on on the yes side. So, on the I mean, you have one argument. One argument says that look, well, is it might not create any rights, but it'll start a conversation about rights. Um, which you know, I'm not isn't an argument I'm very enthusiastic about because if the government wanted to have these new rights, well, it could just propose those instead, or it could just go and do it. Um, so this idea that look, it'll, we're proposing an amendment which will pressure us into doing something unspecified in the future, uh, that to me just makes no makes no sense, you know. Um, but uh, then the other argument you get is that look, it actually does create rights, and I just think that isn't true because you can look at parts of the constitution that create rights, and they don't use terms like the state will strive to support. 
Uh, they, you know, they use language like right <laughs> or the state is obliged to or the state must. Uh, you know, they, so so, the, so that's, let's get that on. Let, let's get that very straight. There's nowhere else in the Constitution the word strive is used as far as you can recall alone, is there not? Uh, I, I, I couldn't. I don't think so. I don't think so. No, I mean, well, so like there was we'll, endeavor. We'll, we'll, we'll take. We'll, yeah, there was endeavor. There's a tiny, t- tiny difference oh. of nuance between endeavor and strife. But like they both, the both of them convey aspiration rather than legal obligation. Like so, the the commission was asked about this, and they thought that maybe strive was slightly stronger than endeavor. And some people disagree about that. But it just almost certainly makes uh, no difference either way. You know. Um, sorry, there is strive is used oh, I, in the constitution. I, I just checked this out. Article 45 says the state, Article 45, Section 1 says the follow, follows, the state shall strive to support the welfare of the whole people by securing and protecting as effectively as it may a social order in which justice and charity shall inform all the institutions of the national life. Okay. And, oh, and uh, you know, I can part, guarantee you. I none, think we'll. Yes. Of course. Owen, thank you very much for coming on and having the conversation. It's been really enlightening. And I think, um, me, I, I would say abstain, but what I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to abstain by just simply not building it into my day to go and vote on the day because I really think it's a nonsense and I think they can do a lot better. And thank you very much for coming on and having this conversation with us. Thanks, lads. Thanks for having me on. I'm going to be the opposite and encourage you all to vote whatever way you choose to vote. Uh, and I will say one final point in closing, that if you go in and you check the synonyms, the the other alternative words for strive, you will find endeavour. So yeah, it's not really a change in terms of giving people access to more rights. And that is deeply, deeply disappointing. Talk to you all soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony, speaking to interesting people. It's the Echo Chamber Podcast. Subscribe now on page.